Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. This evening, as we start this new series that uh, Mark alluded to about the book Everywhere Present by Father Stephen Freeman. So actually, this book is a book I read years ago, so it was really nice when uh, the crew who plans this meeting said that they wanted to start a series on it, because I think it's, it's very practical and it's very relevant for us, and I know sometimes it's much easier for somebody to synthesize a book and present it to you all, rather than for all of us to read. I hope that all of us can read the book, but I know sometimes it becomes difficult in our day-to-day lives. Um, So my hope is that we can synthesize this book. I'm covering today chapter 1 and chapter 2, or sections from chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I think it's very relevant because this is a subject that I feel very passionate about in general. Um, So I'd like to actually just give you the overarching, like, kind of theme of where we're going. So in the third hour litany, that, when, that we pray in the Egbeya. There is a specific litany that talks about the Holy Spirit being everywhere present. I'll actually pull up the text, and then I'll go back to the slide that I want to start with. But it says, O heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who is present in all places and fills all, the treasury of good things and the life giver, graciously come and dwell in us, and purify us from all defilement, O good one, and save our souls. This litany, or this prayer, speaks about the fact that God is everywhere present. The Holy Spirit dwells in all places, and he's present in all things. And sometimes we have this idea that there is a separation between that which is sacred versus that which is secular. God is in church, God is in, I'm at, there at Sundays, God is in, you know, my time here at Bible study, God is, but he isn't present in my nine to five, or he isn't present in all things that I do. The whole principle of this book is that God is present in all things. So how do I become aware of his presence, and how do I encounter his presence in everything that I'm doing? So I think it's a really challenging, you know, even in society these days, what, what do they say? They say, what are the two things that you should never talk about? Religion and politics, right? So there is a separation, and separation of church and state, right? Separation of church and state, right? You don't want to, you, you definitely don't want to speak about faith in workplaces, and you definitely, so even if I don't speak about it, there's also this natural dichotomy that happens in my mind, that everything that I'm doing is separated from God, and everything that I'm doing, there's like sacred and they're secular. There is holy, and there is just like, it might not be necessarily unholy, but it's just like, not God is not there, right? But if God is omnipresent, and he fills all places and is in all things, the natural inclination that I need to have in my mind is that, like, how is this supposed to impact me? So I want to first start with this idea from a book that I had read way back, and it sort of ties into this book, Um, And it's this idea of, like, when God created man, 
right? When God created man, he created man, and he gave man a specific responsibility. He gave man this responsibility of being what? A co-creator with him, right? And how did God give, God give man that responsibility? When, God, was, when I, God created the earth, he gave man the responsibility of doing what? Naming the animals. Naming the animals, right? So why would God give man that responsibility if it wasn't a big deal? It's to give man this ongoing sort of role in bringing God into everything. That man is to be a priest over all creation. In fact, when God was, gave Adam the responsibility of naming the animals, do you guys know what the animals, like each name for the animals alludes to? Like if you go to the Hebrew word for each of the, like for example... The word kalev, or dog, in Hebrew. Does, no, does anyone know what the word dog means in Hebrew? He who has an empathetic heart. He who has an empathetic heart. Because in, in Jewish tradition, they believe, actually, that when Adam was naming the animals, he was naming them based on a characteristic that he saw in God. So man has this responsibility of this ongoing co-creative process, this ongoing I bring God to all places because God dwells in me and he's chosen to use me as a vessel for his glory. And this is going to be a really short talk, but I want us to just start with that premise because I want us to break out into some smaller groups later on for us to really break down this topic a little bit further. So God gives us humans a special role in the mystery of creation and God asks us to be priests of his creation to be stewards and co-creators in the world he loves because we are co-creators we have been given creativity rationality we have been given minds that allow us to come up with amazing new ideas scientific advancement art culture things that add to the wonder and beauty of the world what is this saying that the creative process is still ongoing, right? The creative process is still ongoing, right? Like this little device, this device right here, this thing that I'm holding right here, this ability to like mirror, all this is an ongoing creative process that naturally is meant to point to God, right? Like we could use these devices as a means to glorify God, or we could use these devices as a means to destroy ourselves, right? But everything is an ongoing creative process, and God is using us to continue to add to the world, to bring his presence to every single thing that I do. So when we look at this prayer, this prayer is a real thing. It's a real call to God to be present in all places, in all things, and in all circumstances. But somehow we have this God who's up here, and I'm down here. This God who's like it's a two-story universe. Right? Like, and I'm on the first floor, and God is above. And all those who've departed are in another place, and I'm just here. But my goal for us is to sort of destroy that idea and sort of have this understanding that we actually live in a one-story universe. And God is, like, here. Actually, he says, where two or three are gathered. How does the rest of it go? There I am in the midst. Like, where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst. Like, I'm right here with you. Right? So... I know sometimes we don't feel like, where is God in the midst of my pain? Is God absent? Where is God in the midst of my struggles? Is God absent? 
Where is God in the midst of all the circumstances that are really challenging that I'm going through today? Is he absent? No, he's right here. He's right with you. I had this person recently sit with me and tell me, she's been through a lot, a ton of stuff, right? And she was sort of like, in, recently she had this like revelation, somehow like the Lord like really made it crystal clear of what was happening in the last like 30 something years of her life. And she was saying how in, like, in this moment of prayer, God made, gave her a crystal clear like, image of all those really difficult circumstances that she went through and how God was right beside her encouraging her, like right there in the midst of those difficult, tough circumstances. And I know for us, it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes it feels like, again, God is here and I'm here. God is distant and I'm by myself in the midst of all these situations that I'm going through. But I want to encourage you today is to let you know that we don't live in this two-story universe. Actually, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth. Notice how we refer to him. He's the Comforter, what? The Spirit of Truth, who is present in all places and fills all. The treasury of good things and the life giver. Like, look at those adjectives, the way we describe the Holy Spirit. Like, those are powerful. I'm not going to get into the Holy Spirit. You guys know how much I love the Holy Spirit. I gave did a five-week series on the Holy Spirit. Like, I love the Holy Spirit. He's fantastic. But what I want us to sort of understand is this, un- this, this idea of this two-story universe. So what Father Stephen says, it is as though the universe were a two-story house. We live here on earth, the first floor, where things are simply things and everything operates according to normal, natural law, while God lives in heaven, upstairs, and is largely removed from the story in which we live. How many of you, honestly, let's be real, let's not like, you know, let's actually ask ourselves, do we live like this? How many of us actually, like, we intellectually know that God is with us, but reality, when circumstances are going on, we think that God is up here and I'm down here. I think a lot of us will say, yeah, like, I think I'm, 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 I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I sometimes fall into that sort of situation. So he continues on to say that in the secular world, there are spheres which God may not enter. Or if he does, he must remain quiet and unidentified. Most of these spheres are political and public. There are, of course, places where God may enter churches, but even there, I love this, the space is increasingly threatened by his presence. What is he saying here? He's basically saying that it's not that God isn't there. He's certainly there. It's that almost we don't welcome him there. We sort of put him aside. We say, eh, like, this situation that I'm going through, this place that I'm going through, Lord, step aside. I got this here. I don't need you in this situation. I don't need you in this circumstance. But he's like, I'm there. You can't push me out. Like, I fill all things and in all places, and I'm the treasury of good things. Like, even as much as you want to push me out, I'm right there with you. Right? I'm right there with you. And that last part is really scary, right? That even in church, we're threatened by his presence. We're threatened by his presence. Why? Because if God is present here and he dwells in this room right now, 
and he sees all of our hearts, and he knows all of our intentions. There's a little bit of a piece of us that doesn't want us to believe that that actually is true, right? A little piece of us every single time we come to church that it's just like, I'd rather go to communion as an obligation rather than a celebration. I'd rather go to communion, I'd rather go to church as something that I do rather than a real encounter with God. Because if I have a real encounter with God, it requires change from me. And I think that's threatening. That's threatening to a lot of us, right? Like, it's threatening to me. Like, I'm coming into church, and I have, this is what I want. God, I want you as my genie in the bottle. I want you to do this. I want you to do that for me. I want to come in, and I want to walk out with you. My three wishes were addressed, and thank you very much. And I'll be honest with you. I look at all the papers that come on the altar of prayers, and I love, I love that our church is, like, really big on placing your, your desires of your heart on the altar. But it almost feels like it's like God is our genie. God, I, help me with my exam. God, help me with my finding a husband. God, help me with my, my parent who is this. And all those things are beautiful. Put those things at the altar of the Lord. But God, like, the goal is for me to meet you. The goal is, like, not for my requests to be answered. The goal is for me to encounter you in this place, like, I want to know you. I want all of you. I want to have a relationship with you because in you, I find peace in the midst of all my circumstances. So the two-story universe has far even more subtle effects. The very character of our God, the very character of our relationship with him, even makes it that when I'm in prayer, if God is up there and I'm down here, it makes me feel like he's not sitting with me in my room when I'm praying. Right? Like, and I think sometimes people feel that way. They'll come and they'll pray. And like, Abuna, I don't feel God's presence. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I feel like I talk to a wall. Like, I feel like it's like he's not listening. He's not there. It's just, is this even working? Like, is this actually a real thing? And I think it's the impact of this subtle idea of this two-story universe that continues to give us this impact. So wherever, whenever God and all things are associated with him are exiled from daily life, whenever words such as normal and ordinary are you used to describe the world without God, it is a foregone conclusion that God and all things associated with him will become increasingly irrelevant and foreign to the lives that we live. A God who has been exiled to the second floor will soon seem no more than a story of a God and finally, no God at all. That's a baller quote. You understand that quote? He's saying, if I start to like have this dualistic, like God is here, and I'm here, and life is here, like God is at church, and he's not here with me right now, then ordinary, sacred, secular, sacred, all of that, like there is this dichotomy, there's this division. And the more I have this separation, the more God becomes irrelevant to the relevant parts of my life. Right? Like if I, if I push him to the second floor, then he is not here. If I push him to the second floor and he's distant, then he doesn't have an impact on this. And if he doesn't have an impact on this, then what's his impact at all? Like, if he's exiled to the second floor, then why do I need him here? You see the point here? Like, you see this, why this book is really powerful and why this... But look what he says. He says, For the God who took flesh and dwelt among us is surely the same God who continues to take common things like bread and wine, oil and water, as well as men and women, and make of them instruments of his presence among us. 
for he is indeed everywhere, present and filling all things. What is this saying? It's saying if God is willing to reduce himself, humble himself, and come and dwell in bread and wine as a medium to give his body and his blood to all of us, then he's not going to fill this room. He's not going to fill me. He's not going to meet me in the circumstances that I'm in today. Like, let's be real. Like, if he, in the Last Supper, when he takes bread and wine, and he says, this is my body and this is my blood, and he makes his very presence a real thing. And in John chapter 6, where many people walk away from him because he says, I am the bread of life. If he chooses to use a very simple medium as bread and wine, as a medium in which he chooses to dwell in and dwell in you and I, and to give himself, then he's not going to use me and you and I as the medium of the world to go fill the world with love and fill the world with peace. He's not going to meet me in the room where I'm praying. He's not going to meet me in this meeting and speak to me exactly what I need to hear this evening. Like, if he's separated to the, sep if he's exiled to the second floor and he's not here right now, then he also, and I'm not saying that this is, but if I exile him to the second floor, then he's also exiled from the Eucharist. He's also exiled from every circumstance that I'm in. So you see why this, this is a very challenging concept? But I want to even go a little deeper. And I promise you I'm talking for five more minutes. Maybe ten. Sorry. <laughs> there is this idea of the unity between the heavenly and earthly. Right? Like in orthodoxy, there is no separation between heaven and earth. Right? Even when we go to the Eucharist and we celebrate liturgy, like that's where the heaven, heaven and earth meet. Right? And even look at this verse from Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. I want to talk about this cloud of witnesses. When you go to any monastery, specifically some of the monasteries in Egypt, I'm not saying I, I haven't spent much time in the American monasteries, but specifically in the monasteries of Egypt, there is this like crazy, like it's not a crazy idea, forgive my language, this amazing idea that any of the brotherhood of monks that have passed on to the next life make appearances to the fel their fellow monks. Like, you'll hear often, if you go to Deir Mbabula, the monastery of St. Paul, you'll hear them say how Father Fenus regularly appears to them. Like, he regularly speaks to them. He regularly will meet a, a monk in his, in his cell. And is it like a vision or a ghost or like some weird sort of like supernatural occurrence? Like, what's happening there? It's actually, like, and you see the guy who was the, the paralyzed man who saw St. Mary on the night of one of the vigils of St. Mary, and she, he was paralyzed from the waist down, and in that moment, he stood up and said, St. Mary was the one who came and visited me. Like, you read the stories of all the saints that appear to people. Like, how does that happen? Like, how does that happen where, like, the heaven, heavenly and the earthly meet, those who've passed on, like, how are they still here amongst us? Where is their presence? Like, it's, whoa, it's like there's, is like, and in our tradition, like in Orthodox, that's just another day in the life. Like, people see saints all the time. Like, you know, it's not a thing. You'll talk, talk to people and be like, yeah, Pope Carlos appeared to me, like, a few days ago. And he, like, somebody who's in the hospital will say, Pope Carlos came and saved me, like, healed me. He, like, rescued me from the situation that I was in. Right? And there's this, like, again, for, I think, us in our Western society, 
where we have everything is very rational, there's no way that heaven and earth can meet. There's no way that those who've passed on actually are with us. There's no way that those who have departed to a place far greater are actually able to see me in my circumstances. So like there is, again, this dualism. God is here, the heavenly is here, and I'm here. I want to show you what Father Stephen says in this. He says, the body of Christ is one body. There's only one church, not divided between those who have fallen asleep in Christ and those who remain behind. Whether we are here or in the hand of God, the struggle is the struggle of the whole church. My success or failure in my spiritual life is not my private business, but the concern of a great cloud of witnesses. Neither are they watching only as disinterested bystanders. They urge us on and support us with their prayers. We, 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 where they, were they to watch us, why did that seem funny to read? Were they to watch us without participating at the same time in our struggles, the watching would be like torture. As it is, they are watching is prayer and participation of the deepest sort. What is this quote saying? That's a baller quote. Like, what is this quote saying? It's saying, we think that my struggle is just my struggle. So when I'm sinning, it's just me. It has no impact on you. But if we are members of one body of Christ, then when I am struggling, it impacts you. Right? When I am doing something that is hindering from me being the fullest version of who God created me to be, it, aff it affects you. It affects you because you're not getting the fullest version of me, the most whole version of me. And if there is no death in Christianity, but a departure, then even those who have departed to the place far greater, they see my struggles, if it's one unified body of Christ, as their own struggles. They see that my brokenness is also part of their collective brokenness. So they pray for us, they encourage us, they support us, they visit us, they do the different supernatural things that we think are so foreign and far-fetched for us in the Western world, but in the East, it's just another day in the life. Like, that's why you go to the monastery and you say, oh, St. Moses the Strong appeared to me and I spoke to him recently. What? St. Moses? He was like, way back when, how, how is that possible? No, because there's no death for your servant. There's only a departure to a place far greater. So that's why we call on the saints. That's why we ask them, because we don't believe there is the separation between the heavenly and the earthly. That's why when, if you ever notice in liturgy, when Abuna will pray the commemoration of the saints, like you'll see sometimes when a, a priest has like a favorite saint, he'll bow to them, like one that he has a relationship, because he believes wholeheartedly that in that moment, that saint walks by in the liturgy when we commemorate him. When we say the hymns of the saints, or when we venerate the saints, we believe that they are visiting us, praying for us, encouraging us, supporting us, seeing us in our struggles. And God, because there's no separation between the heavenly and the earthly, he allows them to see all things. Because imagine if you see, if Pope Cronus, who's my, my favorite, of course after St. Louis, but Pope Cronus sees me struggling, and I ask for him, I ask for his help. I say, Pope Cronus, help a brother out here. You know, I'm about to do a visitation, and there's, this, and all of a sudden, I hear a whisper or something that encourages me or something that I should say. That is God allowing the, the, the heavenly, which is united with the earthly, 
to support me in this ministry, to serve somebody who's part of the same body that Pope Carlos belongs to. You see that? Right? Like, it's not for me. It's for the heavenly and the earthly to be united, to encourage one another, to support the earthly, and to encourage the earthly to be who they do. I'm I'm not going to go too much deeper into this. I'm losing some of you, like everybody. (laughs) Anywho. But what is the value when nobody knows they are there? The truth is God knows they are there. The devil knows they are there. And he trembles. And we all know they are there, whether it is a conscious knowing or not, for their prayers permeate us, and our prayers join with theirs as they rise before God. With me? I want us, as we sort of do everything in the next week of our life, next moment of our life, I want you to ask yourself, do I believe that God is present in all things? Do I believe that he is united to me in, my mom- in this moment? Do I believe that the angels, the cloud of witnesses surround me? Do I believe in this room right now? Do I believe there's a guardian angel that escorts me? Do I believe that my favorite saint, when I call on them, they're praying for me and they're supporting me? Do I believe that when I call on the name of the Holy Spirit, that he whispers in my ears and tells me the things that I ought to remember about what Christ has taught me? Or have I isolated him and have I separated him and pushed him upstairs? And that's why I think St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's a pretty, when you read 1 Corinthians 10, there was this sort of dualism. They wanted to separate from what was holy and not holy. They wanted to sort of have this division, this dualism, this dichotomy. And St. Paul says, if you eat meat, do it for the glory of the Lord. If you eat or drink, do it for the glory of the Lord. Everything can be holy. It's not the meat that defiles you. It's not the food that defiles you. It's the intentions of the heart. It's the separation of putting secular, something secular, and something holy, holy. So my challenge for every single one of us just so we can have some time to reflect on this, is over the next week, I want you to just really ask how much this like dualism actually permeates your life. How this like separation between what's holy and not holy actually manifests as a reality of what you do. Like, do I believe that God is present in all things and in all places, or do I believe that he's not? Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know the fact is that whether you like it or not, He fills all things. Whether you believe he's there or not, he is there. Whether you believe that there's a cloud of witnesses around us or not, that's your issue. But the issue, the the reality is they're there. The reality is that they fill this room right now in this church. And we may not see them, but with the eyes of the Spirit, maybe we can. Maybe if we welcome the heavenly with the temporal, the heavenly with the earthly, maybe if we become more aware, we'll start to see more and more the presence of God. Even when you look around in nature, anyone who knows me knows how much I love nature. When you go for a hike, when you see the leaves blowing, when you see the wind, when you see the sun rise and the sunset, when you see the green of the tree start to turn orange, is there not an invisible force that's working? Is there not something that's happening? There's a word that's moving all of nature to do what it's supposed to do? 
We believe that, but we don't see it. We don't see the work. What's changing? How is that changing? What's happening? We believe that nature is naturally moving and the world is rotating and the solar system is happening and the stars are twinkling. We believe all those things, but somehow I don't believe that God is present in all things and in all places. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.